If you'll open up your Bibles, we're going to look at the Easter story or the resurrection. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why is it important? And so Matthew 28, we're going to begin reading there. This is the story after Jesus's life. Uh, one of the accounts after he was raised from the dead, Matthew 28, and it says this in verse 1. It says, now after the Sabbath, which the Sabbath is under the law, what was, or even before that was called the day of rest. It was the seventh day, which was Saturday. It says, as the first day of the week began, which would be today, Sunday, it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So you get this picture. They know Jesus has been there. Uh, first day of the week, they're outside of the Sabbath where you're commanded to rest and not do work. So now they're going to go there and check out the tomb. And they brought stuff to dress the body of Jesus. And as they approached, it says, and behold, verse 2, there was a great earthquake. And this is not even Southern California. There was, was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. That would have been a scene. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning and his clothing was like white as snow. Now, whenever you see angels appear, numerous times the Bible tells us that they look like this or they give a different version of how sometimes they just look like they're glowing, like life and light coming off of them because they dwell in God's presence. Well, this one was sent on assignment to roll away the stone and not because Jesus needed the stone rolled away. You with me? Because he could go in and out of walls at this time or through things. But he rolled it away, and it says, and the guards, because, see, there was Roman soldiers because they were afraid that somebody would vandalize the tomb because of all the things told about Jesus. So there's Roman guards there. And Roman guards during this day and age, if they didn't do their do, do things right, they would kill themselves, literally. And so these guys are directed to be there to guard this tomb so nothing happens. This angel comes, rolls away the stone, and it says this, and the guards shook, verse 4, for fear of him, just this one angel, and it said, and they became like dead. You know, have you ever seen people pray and somebody falls over and they look dead? You know that happened when Jesus was on the earth, and do you know that happened right here too? All of a sudden, these Roman soldiers who weren't believers, they were just observers, they were just doing their job, they got so full of fear and the power of God was there, they just fell over like they were dead. You know what I find interesting? These ladies came, these Roman soldiers are there on this hillside, and uh, the ladies come and encounter these angels or this angel, these guys encounter, and two totally different things happen. Notice this. It said, the guards shook with fear, and they became like dead in verse 4. But verse 5 says, but the angel answered and said to the woman. To the woman. Not to the guards. To the woman. 
Now you get this picture. These guards here are seeing this huge experience. I guess you could say seeing, living it. There's an earthquake. All of a sudden they see this angel appear. He's glowing. It looks like lightning. They fall over like they're dead. And this woman walks up during this. And what I find that's so fascinating, the angel didn't even care about the Roman soldiers that are on the ground like they're dead. He just turns to the women and goes, hey, don't fear. Said they were afraid. He didn't tell them, don't be afraid. They needed to be afraid. They needed to recognize that what was going on was holy and was of God. And it says this, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And he was right, and he was sent from God. And here's these guys. I mean, you think about this story. You got two guys on the ground. They look like they're dead. You got this guy who looks like lightning, and he tells you, don't be afraid, you guys, you ladies. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus. He was crucified. And it says, verse 6, he's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. So he had moved the stone away so that they could go see, not so Jesus could get out. And so they go in there, and it says, after they had done this, it said, verse 7, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen, and he goes indeed before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they're sent back to go tell the disciples, hey, Jesus is going to appear to us. That'd be a pretty good message. The first people who are going to preach the gospel, two ladies. Right? Well, ladies shouldn't preach. That angel got this all messed up. No, they just were the ones curious. They were the ones there. And so the Lord said, listen, you go tell the guys, you know, the leaders, he's risen, right? You know what's so fascinating, if you know a little bit about this story, they paid these guards off so that they would say, hey, his body was stolen, and different things like that. And what I find so interesting about that is to pay them off. That was against Roman law, not to just pay them off, but that those guys would not kill themselves for failing at their duty. You with me? You can read in the Bible, you can read history. If a Roman soldier failed at his duty, he would kill himself. Remember when Paul in the Bible was in prison? And there was a great earthquake there. And all the prison doors open. As soon as Paul came out, he sees this soldier pull out his sword and he's going to kill himself. He said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And what's interesting is, why didn't they just let them kill themselves if they felt like they failed at their duty? Because they didn't fail at their duty. God did his work. God raised Jesus from the dead. God was doing that to tell all mankind something happened this day. And if you think, well, it's just Jesus died and Jesus rose again, that is huge, it is right, but what really happened that day? What really occurred for us today, not just for us today, until the Lord comes back? 
Why did he need to die? Why couldn't anybody die? Why did he need to rise from the dead? Notice this in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Why did Jesus have to die? Why, why did it have to be that way? Well, the state of man demanded it. God had given authority to man. He told him, this is your earth to dress it, to keep it, to subdue it, to do all these different things. And man sold out to the enemy, sinned, and he ended up spiritually dead. You know, have you ever read there back in Genesis? It said, God said, the day you eat this fruit, you will surely die. Now, I've heard people say, well, they ate and they didn't die. Well, the question is, did they eat and not die? Or did they die the way God knew they would die, but not the way we think of death? Because when we think of death, we think of let's go to a funeral and let's say goodbye, they're already gone. But that's not how God looked at death. And it's not how God looks at death a lot of times. Now, he does look at that death, but there is a different death. When people play with sin, it's opening the door to spiritual death. And back then, he said, listen, don't do this because in the day you do it, you will die. Well, if you looked at them at appearance, they maybe wouldn't have totally looked different, but things did change, and they became separated from God to where they, instead of running to God and walking with God every day and living in authority and living in the fullness of life that God had, they went and they hid themselves. And God had to go hunt them down. Why? Because really what did happen? The day they ate, they did die. But they didn't die physically. This is something I think that is so important for people because if they don't realize there's a spiritual part in them, then they just wonder, why am I empty with life? I remember years ago when I wasn't serving God, I would lay in bed at night and think, what in the world am I here for? Life is an empty bubble. Why was I even born? It bugged me. And I thought, there's something missing in my life, and I'm doing everything, and I've got a really good job, and I'm making more money than a lot of adults. Well, I was a very young adult. Technically, I guess when you're 18, you're an adult. And so 19, 20, I'm making money, got a company car, and, and I'm thinking, this is what everybody's supposed to have. Then when you have it, you're fulfilled. And I would sit there at night thinking, this isn't it. You know, the sad thing is there are people who will live their life thinking, if I could only get rich, then I'll have what I need. And those people will never get rich. And so then what will happen is, now some of them may, but some won't. And so they'll just live their whole life thinking, no, what I need is money. And it's not. It would be better off for people to get rich and then go, okay, this ain't it. And then people experimenting with different things. And I was like that, going, check this off. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, and I just felt like you do all this stuff, but there's what purpose is there? Well, a friend of mine told me about the Lord. I received the Lord, and I went, that's it right there. Why? Because it dealt with spiritual things. It dealt with what happened way back then, spiritual death. What is death? 
Sometimes people think death is ceasing to exist. Well, when you die, you cease to exist. Well, no. When you die, you leave your body. There's a part of you that leaves your body. Even if you don't know what the Bible has to say, you can go online, you can read stories about people who say, when I died, I went up and left my body. I floated out. I was in the room watching. You hear stories about accidents that occur. And somebody said, you know, I I saw my body down there in the fire department and the paramedics working on my body. And then they resuscitated me and I went back into my body. Just by that kind of stuff, you recognize there is an inward part and an outward part. And we recognize it too if we were just honest and would evaluate ourselves. And it's that inward part that's spiritually dead or spiritually alive. And when you talk about dead, you've got to realize death, when it's talking about this, means the absence of God's life. Not that you don't exist, but you're absent and void of divine life. In other words, your spirit will go on forever, but either you have divine life in you, eternal life in you, or you don't. Now, notice this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, talking about this Easter message and why did Jesus do what he did and what was the point of this? 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, or like this, that if one died for all, then all, notice this, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. So he just said right there, the reason why Jesus died was he died for all, meaning that all were in or are in at some point a state of spiritual death. And where did that come from? If you turn to Romans, there's an interesting verse. A lot of times when we read things in the Bible, if we knew what death was, we would recognize just because we're doing certain things, um, like, you know, the wages of sin is death. If you play with sin, it'll hurt your life. People say, well, I'm doing it and it's not hurting me. It technically is. You may not be seeing the results outwardly yet. And so here in Romans, the fifth chapter, talking about all being dead, everybody is dead spiritually. You know, years ago, there was a movie that came out. I didn't see it. I'm not looking to see it, but it was called The Sixth Sense, I think. And the commercial was this little kid, and he would be looking, and he would be going, I see dead people. You know, in all reality, there is something to be said about that. Now, we could be going around living our whole life, and we, can, we as Christians who have received the Lord can know the Lord, but if we could really see what was underneath the skin, so to speak, of people, we'd probably say the same thing. I see dead people. 
In other words, people who are outside of God's life. And so here in Romans 5, verse 13, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world. Now, when he's talking about the law here, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, the the covenant that was given by Moses hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years after Adam and Eve were first on the earth. And it says, this law came, and he said, though, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed or counted against you when there is no law. In other words, speeding may morally be wrong if you're going 150. 140 is okay. But the minute they post the sign, you're without excuse. Right? Then you can be punished for it. But the issue is, it could be wrong regardless if there's a sign up or not. But once the sign comes up, you know I'm guilty. Even though you were guilty before, the sign makes you know your guilt. And so he said... For until the law, or up until the time the law came, sin was in the world. But sin is not accounted to someone where there is no law. He said, nevertheless, notice this phrase, death reigned or ruled from the time of Adam till Moses. In other words, when Adam took the fruit and Eve took the fruit, spiritual death came into them. Their relationship with God was totally affected. And it says, basically, it traveled through all of humanity. You know, we talk about DNA and, oh, or you look at one kid and they go, oh, they kind of look more like their mom. They kind of look more like their dad. And then as they grow, they're like, they don't look like either of you. Now they look like the other one, you know, and as they're growing, you think, oh, but you see traits and attributes and stuff like that as they're growing. But there's one thing, you know, that's past to children, but this has passed through the whole human race. He said, it was there from the time of Adam all the way to Moses. What does that mean? Well, Moses presented the law that showed people, uh, if you could be perfect, then you'd be good with God, and here are all the rules, and all it did was show people that nobody's good enough, nobody's perfect enough, but he said, it was spiritual death was there the whole time long before that ever came. And that's what he was saying. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So basically he said, listen, Adam and Eve sinned. Spiritual death got into humankind. And he said, even though people didn't sin and do the exact same thing Adam did a generation or two or three later, he said, it doesn't matter. He said, death was reigning and ruling in the spirits of men. In other words, you couldn't find anybody that this wasn't passed on to. There's not one person. And I mean, you could even go to science and They'll tell you all the human race came from one man and one woman. Science will tell you that. Well, that being said, so did death. 
and it spread through all of them. And it made its way to us, and it made its way to everybody in the world. You know, to me, when, when the news is on and you watch and all this crazy stuff happening in the world, there's two sides to it. They'll, they'll tell you this. They'll go, why is everybody acting like they are? We don't understand why this is all going on. One, it's there's a human nature. Two, people are allowed to feed on junk all the time that's bitter, that's evil, and then that contributes to them acting on that evil nature inside or that separation from God. And so he said, this is the state of humanity. So why did Jesus have to come? He came to fix this state that man was in because man could not fix it on his own. As a matter of fact, Galatians says this in the third chapter. He said, if there was a rule or laws that were given, you know, like the Ten Commandments, like Moses brought, he said, if there were laws that were given that could have given eternal life, he said, that's the way it would have come. Well, you know, that statement right there tells us this. One, the idea of thinking that if I do enough or I'm good enough, I can get into heaven is shot down by that. Well, I'm better than them. Yeah, but they're not getting kicked out because of how bad they are, and they're not getting brought in because of how good they are. You with me? Because then all you've got to do is find that one person that's the mark above, you know what I mean, missing it, and just do better than them. But he basically said there is no rules, no laws you can keep to get yourself in. In other words, you can't change your own spiritual nature by good deeds. Because he said if you could, there would have been rules given that would have shown you what to do, and you could have done it, and it would have changed you. And how many people do that all the time in their life? They're, they're miserable, and uh, so I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a better person. You know, God is the one who makes you a better, different person. Especially if you give your life to the Lord and then follow him after. So 1 Peter says this in the third chapter in the 18th verse. He said, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Christ, why did he suffer? He suffered not for himself. He suffered not for himself. It says the just for the unjust. You could say this because they're the same words. The righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, Jesus was just and right. And he suffered for the unright. Well, who was unright? No matter how good you are, no matter how good you're going to be, spiritual death is in a person. And notice this. He said, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We need to recognize that the reason Christ died for all humanity is to solve that spiritual death problem. The Bible says this in 1 John 5, He who has the Son has life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. What is he saying? Is he saying, hey, you just got the good life, man. When you get the Lord, you get the good life. Like it just changes stuff outward. No, he's basically saying that inward spiritual death that is the plight of humanity. When somebody gets Jesus way deep down inside, their spiritual nature changes and they actually get divine life. Now that divine life was not just to be celebrated in Christ's resurrection. It's supposed to be celebrated in your life when you receive the Lord. And not only that, the resurrection of Jesus, if you read the scriptures, it's plain. It is supposed to resurrect your whole life. You with me? People need a resurrected life. But it starts from getting life within. And when you get life within, just like Jesus rose from the dead, you rise from the dead. But you may not even stand up. You may not float up into the air, you know, right after. Probably not, unless the Lord came. But what will happen is you'll rise up inside. His divine life will come in you. Jesus said it like this, the thief came to steal, to kill, and destroy. Man followed his plan and ended up like that. But Jesus said, now I came that you might have divine life and that you might have it more abundantly. And we've said this before, the word there of life is zoe. It's a Greek word, and it literally means to get God's life and his quality of life in you. Well, where does that come? In your mind? No, you'll find this out to be true right away, that as a Christian, you'll get a couple bad thoughts in your mind. Well, nobody said amen. You guys never have had a bad thought. But obviously, we can feed bad thoughts by watching stuff, but we can do our best, and a bad thought will come every now and then. But that's against your mind. But inwardly, when you give your life to the Lord, there is a new life, a new thing that comes inside of you. And what's so interesting, when I gave my life to the Lord way back and dedicated my life to the Lord in 1985, my friends knew it. But here's the thing. They would say, well, how do you know? And how do you? And, and I would think, I just know. I've had an experience. Little did I know that is probably one of the best ways. In other words, share the gospel, but to tell them, listen, experience trumps things all day long. Right? When I have this experience, you could say what you want to, but I know. That's one of the fascinating things about the disciples, you know, the ones who were in the Bible. If they were a bunch of frauds, would they die on the cross? Some of them did, died on crosses. Some of them were stoned to death. One of them, they tried to boil him in oil, and he wouldn't boil, so they put him on a prison island. And when he was on that island, he had that vision, which came, which we all know as the book of Revelation. They tried to kill him by boiling him. But here is what I'm saying. These guys were killed, stoned, nailed to crosses for their faith, they had a choice to deny their faith. 
How many people throughout history have been burned alive for their faith? And when they were thrown to lions, because that happened too, they didn't deny, we'll let you go if you deny your faith. I can't, because it's not just something on paper. It's not just like, oh, it's some scriptures. It is based on the scriptures, but I have had an experience with God, and it's been an ongoing one. Matter of fact, when I gave my life to the Lord, I internally went, okay, I'm not telling anybody. This is too good to be true. It'll just wear off. You know, a day or two or three or four went by, and I thought, okay, I'm going to tell somebody now. Well, they already knew something was different. And it wasn't because somebody told me to keep a bunch of rules. It was because I had an encounter with the living God, and I passed from spiritual death internally to spiritual life, and I just thought this is too good to be true. How could this last? I wonder why he called it eternal life. <laughs> well, when's it going to wear off? Well, it's called eternal life. And when I had that experience with the Lord, and it is an experience, and it's not like, you know, maybe the Lord may appear to you, he may not. But I do know this, the reality of it is something that when somebody says, well, how do you know? Come on. Listen, you can argue, and your argument comes maybe because you haven't had an experience. If you'll believe what I say and call on his name, the same Lord that came to live in me will put his life and come to live in you too. And that's why he died, was to remove spiritual death so that you could have spiritual life. Here is the thing. Heaven is not for perfect people in the sense of people who are perfect by their deeds. Heaven is for people who are perfected by the work of Christ, who, in other words, heaven is a place for people who are spiritually full of the life of God. Hell is a place for people who do not have the life of God. So when people get to heaven, they're not going to go, you know, an angel up there at the door go, uh, hey, you, uh, did you do good enough? No, they're just going to look and go, do you have eternal life? And they're going to know. And you won't be able to fake it. I'll get by all the eternal life people. <laughs> There's a crowd of them and just, just slide in and get right in. No, only eternal life people with eternal life. People that don't have life Christ already died for them so they could get in. Here's something about all religions of the world. They try to show you a way of good works and doing certain things to achieve this. The one thing about Jesus is he talked about getting you back into good standing with God so you could have life and you don't work for it. As a matter of fact, your life changes after. Nobody told me quit doing this, stop doing this. My inward parts changed. And my desires changed. And then afterward, God did start dealing with me. Matter of fact, I don't know if I ever heard a sermon, but I knew right off, quit listening to the music you're listening to. Nobody told me. Now, you could choose to keep listening to things the Lord says don't listen to. But remember this, if you partner with something he doesn't want you to partner with, the consequences can be detrimental.
Why? Because it would have fed me back in that old lifestyle. Now, I'm not saying he told you that, but I knew inside I need to watch the music I listen to. I knew also I need to get new friends right away. Somebody said, yeah, but what about my old friends? I don't know. I just know what I knew, and I knew that I needed new friends. The Lord didn't say, hey, I'm going to send you people exactly your age. I mean, when I first got friends in the church, I mean, they're old people, young people. They didn't look like me. They didn't act like me, but they loved the Lord. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with these uh, people at this season in my life. And I watched other people who chose to be around the other people they were around after, and their life just derailed. Why? Because if I open myself up to something God says, don't, then I need to know this, that's sin to me. And I open myself up, and it allows for evil into my life. It's not an issue of trying to get eternal life. It's actually working to get that eternal life into motion and not get it closed away. And so I knew after I gave my life to the Lord what to do. I'm not telling you to do what I did in that part. I'm just saying that's what I knew. And I knew the third thing was, if I didn't say it was, I knew I needed to start reading my Bible on a regular basis. Now, God dealt with me about other things later on. But those things did not give me life. I got the life of God for free. What those things did was they protected me from getting all messed up. Thank you. Somebody said, but I like those things the Lord keeps telling me don't do. Well, if you do, then I guarantee you this, they will hurt you until you stop playing with them. Well, thank you. Does it mean God doesn't love you? No, he loves you. He's trying to protect you. You know, like parents. You know, parents discipline their kids. They should. Correct them. And how many... I was a youth pastor for 17 years. I heard this and heard parents say this, or well, was 16 years. I heard kids say, and I would hear parents say, that their kids said... You, you just don't love me. You just don't love me. We'll just sit here quiet for a few minutes. You don't love me. No. It can be totally opposite. As a matter of fact, the Bible said God loves us and shows it when he corrects us. So if he deals with you, he's expressing love. He knows what's best. He's trying to help the situation, not harm the situation. Now, I understand this. When I talk like this, I'm talking about believers who have a relationship with God. This is different than the world. As a matter of fact, the Bible said the world will think you're strange if you don't do what they did. Well, the reason they do what they do is because where they're at, the reason we do what we do is because where we're at. He who has the Son has life. Let's read this verse here in Romans 10. Romans, the 10th chapter. 
And I will say this, if you've got, if you're a Christian and you've gotten used to liking doing some wrong stuff, it, it could be a little bit of work to wean yourself from that. You with me? But if you do it in trusting God's grace, that eternal life will change things. And things that are in you that you received when you received Christ will break forth in your life. Romans, the 10th chapter, the 9th and 10th verse. Why did Jesus die? Why did he rise? We recognize it was for the state of all of humanity that he did what he did. Notice this in the 9th verse. It says, that if you, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, this is how you get this eternal life in you. This is how your life changes. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, what is it that you're to believe in your heart? What are you to confess with your mouth? What are you to believe in your heart? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he said you will be saved. Notice, Jesus did die and did rise from the dead. The key to getting that life he paid for is to surrender to his lordship by believing in his work. Remember, there's no rule you can keep that'll get you there. It's a faith thing. He goes on to say, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness or right standing or eternal life, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, or you could say the new birth. What happens is, is this work that Jesus paid for because there was spiritual death through humanity that spiritual death ends the minute somebody gives their life to the Lord. Spiritual life comes in them. What is so interesting is, is people argue about this. Well, you know, I'm a member of a church. Well, you know, I was baptized when I was a kid. You know, I pray. You know, I give to the poor. Those things are not bad. But they're not according to the way he said you get it. Isn't it interesting? A lot of things we do, we say, well, I'm trying to measure up. And he's saying, listen, it comes by surrendering to the Lord and receiving him. And so with that being said, why do we celebrate Easter? Because of what Christ did. Why do we call upon the name of the Lord as a believer? To get the life he paid for. Why do we serve him to allow that life to move through us? And what we need to recognize, this life is so powerful, it can change all of us and revolutionize our life if we learn to yield to God after we're saved. 